even more. If you came here today and your wife drug you here, I'm not going to have you raise your hand. It's okay. If you came here today because you love your mama and she loves it when you're at church, don't raise your hand. It's okay. But I, I give you a chance this morning just to take a deep breath in life. No matter what you believe, no matter why you're here, you're going to be here for the next 30 minutes, <clears throat> 35 minutes. Anyway, take a deep breath. You know, I sat next to my dad. My mom and dad are here today, and um, that doesn't happen very often. But, um, but I sat next to my dad back there, and we sang worship songs, and I heard this. You know, he's just got this loud bass voice. makes me think of, like, the sweet home, sweet chariot. Every time I hear him sing, it's just a loud, long bass voice. But when I was a kid, there was a time when, when in the mornings, especially in the summer, where I get to hear a different voice from my dad. I'd be hunting if you were here this morning for the sunrise service. I told you a little bit about this. We'd get up to go squirrel hunting or we'd get up to go fishing early in the morning and everybody else would be asleep. So he'd come into my bedroom and he'd say, John, fish are biting. Or John, squirrels are moving. And that big, loud, strong voice that I was used to became a whisper. And to this day, to this day, if my dad were at a movie theater and he'll say, I've got to get out to go to the bathroom, which he happens to have a lot to do when we're at the movie theater. John, I've got to get out to go to the bathroom. I immediately look up into the trees for the squirrels, you know. Or, because there's something that happens when a loud, strong, powerful, meaningful voice in your life decides not to be loud, strong, meaningful, and powerful for a second and just be quiet. You're not going to get much quiet in here today. And if you brought your kids in here today, we are glad they are here. And don't even worry about it. If they're asleep, if they're running around, whatever it is, I've been doing this a long time. I can deal with it. We're just glad they're here. But we'd love to give you a chance to just be quiet. Just for a moment before the sermon here today. Just for a moment. just to Because what God said is, is, is in the midst of loud and crazy and strong lives where noises are everywhere in our lives, He speaks in a still, small voice. God speaks in this quiet voice. He will not shout over whatever you brought in here today with your life. He won't shout over your calendar. He won't shout over your bank account. Because love doesn't shout. Love always gives a choice. So he is asking you today, no matter what you believe, if you're not even sure there is a God today, just try this. Just take a deep breath. Be quiet for 30 seconds. It's all we can handle in this day and age, 30 seconds of quiet. We're going to be quiet in here for 30 seconds and just say this to God. If you're there, if you're not sure you believe in him, say this. If you're there, let me hear that quiet voice. And you probably won't hear it audibly, but you'll hear it some way in your heart. If, if you do believe in this stuff and you've been coming to church every Easter for a lot of years, there's a chance this will just become another Easter to you if you come in here with the noise in your life. So if you just stop for a minute and say, God, speak to me in that still small voice. I'm going to give it about 30 seconds. It won't be quiet because there's kids everywhere. Um, but let's just allow God to speak to us for a second, and then I'll jump right into our message today. God, in this room right now, as quiet as we can make it with our kids all over the place, we just pray that we, we would get quiet enough in our lives that we could hear something from you today. 
God, it, it feels too big as the guy standing on the stage today for me to say something important to these people. You and I both know I have no business standing on this stage this morning because I have something wise to say or because I've lived a life that's worthy of listening to. So God, we don't want to hear from me. We want to hear from you. Would you speak in a still, small voice to us? Would you, hear, would you, would you use something that is said this morning to move our lives closer to you? And we thank you for that today in your son's name. Amen. You know, I was uh, on the way to, to church this morning, and I, uh, I, know ever, I didn't wear my shirt and everything. I had a T-shirt on. I mean, I had a shirt on, but I didn't wear my, my, my church shirt because we had so many things going. So I had a T-shirt on, and I was on my way to church, and I stopped to get gas at the gas station on the west side. Um, and the guy said, what are you doing so, up so early on a Sunday morning? It was being really nice. And I said, well, I'm, I'm going to an Easter service. I'm preaching an Easter service. And he looked at me. I don't know if you had anybody look. I was wearing a T-shirt and jeans. He looked at me, and he goes... You're preaching at an Easter service this morning? I said, yes, I have a shirt in the car. He said, you have a suit in the car? I said, no, I have a shirt in the car. He said, well, you better go home and get your suit. Your wife won't want you to come to church without your suit on. (laughs) I said, it's okay. The place I'm going, they're good with me preaching in jeans. But the truth is, it reminded me on my way here that people think Easter is for for religious people, don't they? Maybe you do. That's the one Sunday you come every year. It's the religious time, right? It's the, it's the time that you set aside to be religious for a Sunday. But the truth is, I, what I'd like to t- tell you a little bit this morning, I'd like to just say two very simple things. The first is I'd like to tell you about what Easter was when it happened. I'd like to tell you about the culture. I'd like to tell you about why it happened. Maybe you'll learn something today about why we do what we do. But then I would like to tell you about what it is intended to be in your life right here, right now, today. Easter wasn't for religious people. Never was. It wasn't just for religious people. In fact, I'd like, love for you to look at this um, culture in the time of Jesus. While Jesus was here, and by the way, um, historians don't, don't argue about whether or not Jesus was a human being. His name was Jesus, um, and he was the son of a carpenter, and he, he had a real life like that, and he had a real death like, like you've heard about. Um, this is absolute history. And at that point in history, that next slide there, Dan. At that point in history, Jesus was in this incredibly turbulent time in history for the culture. It was an awful time to not be a rich person. You know what I mean? I mean, many of you are sitting there going, yeah, I know that, that feeling, right? You don't understand what, how bad it was at this point. It was a corrupt religious system, and it was so corrupt that the religious people had all the money and all the power, and they had the government in their pocket. So the government was supporting the religious people who had all the money, and and people were getting richer and richer and richer. A very small group of people were getting richer and richer and richer because of their power, and the whole rest of the world, masses of humanity, were oppressed were treated awful. You could go into that point in history and you could, you, uh, somebody could come in and take a tax. They'd come in and get, take your paycheck and they could take a tax and they could pretty, basically take whatever they wanted out of your paycheck. And if they took some money out of your paycheck, part of the money they took out of your paycheck would go to what was called the temple tax. No matter what you believed, no matter how it worked, you would get a temple tax on your money. That money would go to the temple. And the idea of that money was that it would to be used to help the poor people in the community. That that money would be used by the temple, your tax, temple tax, would support the poor people. And that was a tactical thing too. You know, you support the poor people and it helps the whole economy. But here's what was happening when Jesus came to earth. The religious people were pretending that they knew what God wanted. What God really wanted from you in your life is for you to listen to them, to obey their rules, not God's rules, their rules, and to give me all your money. And we'll give it to the poor. But what was happening was they were taking the money 
And they were just becoming richer and richer and richer. Historians found, I just found this on Google this week. You can Google it yourself. Historians found a bottle of wine at the south part of the temple wall um, when they were digging this up. Excavators found this bottle of wine, and they did some research on it, and they found out that this bottle of wine would be worth over $5,000 now. They believe it belonged to the chief priests that were in the, in the temple. Money wasn't going to the poor people. And this is the kind of environment that Jesus went into. The poor and the vulnerable were being exploited And that broke Jesus' heart. But even past that, they were exploited in the name of God. Over and over and over. Power was held by a very few number of people. And all of the rich people seemed to be winning at life. It made you, the more powerful you were and the more rich you were, the more you seemed to succeed at life. Until Jesus showed up on the scene. And Jesus came and instead of finding the most powerful people and befriending them, instead of finding the rich, good-looking supermodels on the earth, Jesus went to fishermen, and he went to oppressed people. He went to women. And by the way, women at this time were some of the most oppressed people in the world. Even if you had money, you couldn't vote. <laughs> That's not even, even in the uh, ballpark. If, if somebody were to, to be murdered or a crime was to be committed and you saw it as a woman, your testimony was worthless in court. You couldn't stand up in court. That's how bad women were treated at this point in history. And Jesus said, women, I want you. I want you here. I want to show what God thinks of women. And so he began to surround himself with women. And maybe you don't know this about God. Uh, maybe, maybe you don't know this. Maybe this is a great reason for you to come to Easter service. But did you know that, that the ministry of Jesus, he was from, from the age of 30 to the age of 33, church people call that his ministry. And that's the time where he healed people, where he performed miracles. You've heard about all those. He turned water into wine. He fed 5,000 people. You know why he fed those 5,000 people? He fed them because they were hungry. You know why they were following him? Because they were hungry. <laughs> They followed him all the way out into the desert, hoping that he would feed them. And he did because the separation between the rich people and the poor people, the oppressed people, was getting more and more and more. And the more he saw the oppression of women and the more he saw oppression of broken people and the more he saw sick people get downtrodden and money being taken from people's paychecks and given to the church so that the church could buy $5,000 bottles of wine, the more he stood against the culture, the more he stood against the religion and the time. So if you're here today and you go, man, the reason I don't come to church is because I hate religion. You're in good company. So did Jesus. <laughs> Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. Jesus came to take the junk out of religion and to make it about God again and to show the people in the culture who God really was. So anytime you see religion in your life, Right now, anytime you see religion, and by religion I mean like, like cold ceremony that doesn't seem to have God behind it. Not that all ceremony is cold, but that sometimes it just feels fake. Or sometimes some people in the name of God, they do some things or they say some things on behalf of God that doesn't seem like God. You're in good company if you stand against that because that's what Jesus did. He said, no, this is not who God is. So next slide there, Dan. So the Jesus movement stood up. 
And at that point, the Caesar at the time, the leader of the, of the entire Roman world, again, had religion in his pocket. And he wanted all of the Roman world, including anybody who was following Jesus around, to call him Lord. Maybe you've heard Christians say that before. Maybe you've heard Christians say the word Lord when they talk about Jesus. Um, it's not just a, a word that we sing during worship songs. It's a religious word. This is a word all the way back from this time in culture where it was actually Caesar who used this before Jesus. Caesar wanted you to call him Lord, which meant Caesar is God. In fact, Caesar called himself the son of God. This was the man who could lop your head off with a sword or order your head lopped off with a sword for any reason he wanted to. He could take your tax money. He could do anything he wanted to do. And he said, I am Lord and I am the son of God. And guess what Jesus did? Jesus came into that culture and he said, no, I am Lord and I am the son of God. I've heard Christians ask me a lot of time in their life, maybe you've wondered this question, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? The answer is this, he didn't. They killed him. I mean, he, he did say at one point, nobody takes my life from me. In this very Bruce Willis-like action hero movie moment, somebody says, uh, you know, they're going to take your life, Jesus. He said, hey, nobody takes my life from me. I like to say it like that. Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down, which is him going, no, no, they're not taking my life. I'm give-. But you know why they killed Jesus? He didn't just walk to the cross. They killed him because they had to. Because what you've seen Hunger Games. What happens, right, Reese? Um, you've seen Hunger Games, you've seen movies, all, all these movies do this. When, when there's somebody that's subversive, when there's somebody that's standing against the system, they have to go. Jesus claimed Caesar wasn't the son of God. Jesus claimed that there was a better way to do life. At that point, the way to win at life, and by, maybe you feel this at your job and in your life, the way to win at life in that point in history was to get all the power you could get. Just gather power, right? Just get all the power I can get. I want as many people in, in your job, I want to get as many people under me as I can. That's one of the worst things I hate to hear in a staff meeting. You know, I work full-time job and I hear it all the time. How many people are under you? <laughs> you know what that means? It means how many people's paychecks are depending on your review of them? How, much, how many people can you change their day for better or for worse by one or two words that you say? How many people are under you? See, things haven't changed that much. Jesus said to a whole group of oppressed people, and maybe you feel a little oppressed in your job today or in your life. Jesus said, the last, who's last in here? Everybody went, right? The last, guess what, guys? Good news. You're first in God's kingdom. Now, that wasn't a moment just about heaven. We like to make that a heaven moment. Like someday you'll be first. Just hold on. It's going to be hell on earth for a while until you someday you're first. No, Jesus was saying to God right here, right now, if you feel oppressed, if you feel broken, if you feel hurt by the system, if you feel like someone else has downtrodden you over and over and over, guess what? God looks at you and says, I know you think they're first, but the creator of the universe calls you first. The last shall be first. And just so you wonder, the first will be last. They've totally missed the point. Man, you can see the religious people started seeing their bottles of wine go out the window. They started seeing uh, insurgents and people started following Jesus. If you were here last week, you know that the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which we call the triumphal entry. The Bible doesn't call it that. We just kind of labeled that. I think it's actually bigger than that. It was like the hopeful entry. People, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, people, he was riding on a, on a little animal and people started kind of taking palm branches and coats and all kinds of things. And they were saying this word over and over and over again. And it was this word, Hosanna. 
And I know that sounds like a churchy word, but here's what it meant to them. The word Hosanna comes from a Hebrew word long, long, long before that day. Hosanna, and it means this, save us. And what they wanted to be saved from, what they wanted to be saved from was the government. They wanted to be saved from a life where the first seem to always be first, where the rich people always win, where the bad people always get. And they said, save us, be the king. And by that, they meant, we want, if Jesus takes over, Jesus' way will be the better way. So Caesar says, I'm, this is the way you live life. This is the way you win. You grab all the power you can get, and you get all the money you can get, and you just step on people until life is over. And that means you win. And Jesus says, there's a better way. And he goes around and he says, you want what you're looking for in your life? You take your power, any power that you've been given in your life, and you turn it upside down. You take yourself, and instead of ruling over people, you put them above you. It will change your life. It will change who you are. You will be the kind of person that you wanted to be. That peace that you always want, that you only get when you're on vacation, for the first couple of days of vacation until you start thinking about going back to work, that peace that you want to live with your whole life, it comes when you change the way you live your life here. He says, I came to give you life. Jesus said this to a big group of people. Came to give you life and life abundantly. That means life here better. Jesus had a better way of living and it caused him to be killed. Jesus had to go. And if you were here Friday night, you got to hear what that looked like. I'm sure you've seen the cross of Jesus before. I get to work in branding and marketing, and I get to be a part of new logos being developed and companies spending thousands and thousands upon thousands, and some companies millions of dollars to create logos that they hope will be associated with a brand or a name or an idea or a person, and it'll make you buy their stuff. But the one logo, the one symbol that has stood the test of time is the cross. Just two sticks. This has stood the test of time, and some of you have it around your necks today. You watch celebrities. Almost all of them are wearing one in one way or the other. We have them all over the place. And it symbolized a moment in time where Jesus, the one who stood against the system, was nailed to a cross. And if you were here last Friday, you know that this wasn't a cross like you've seen on the pictures um, where it's up way up in the air, and there are three crosses way up in the air with the sun setting behind it. You know, we love those pictures, don't we? that says forgiven on the top in nice cursive writing. That's not the picture of the cross of Jesus. Jesus would have over and over and over seen crucifixions. This is what the Roman government wanted for people to see. They wanted your children to walk by a crucified man. So Jesus wasn't 20 foot up on a cross. He was probably two to three inches off the ground, just high enough to keep his feet off the ground so that people could come walk by him. On the way to school, you would take your children by and you would see crucified people. Jesus would have seen it over and over and over. He would have smelled it over and over and over. And when he died on a cross, he died three inches above the ground where people could spit in his face, where they could come and poke him and make fun of him and stand face to face with the Messiah and call him names and yell at him. And two criminals who were on each side of him on the cross, one of them looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, I've, I've earned this. You haven't. Remember me when you get wherever you're going. You know what Jesus said to him? He said, well, I'd really like to, but you've lived a really awful life, man. You're dead, you're, you're dead to me. You know, God will only take so much, and then after that, you're done. You, you may, you're on the cross, that's it, you're done. Is that what he said? No, if you know the story, that's not what he said. Did he say, okay, man, I'm really glad. I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad you made that. Here's what I want you to do. You need to be baptized. You need to take this class that we have. And then, then after that, um, you need to just be involved in a small group. And then right after that, we need you to get you in through things. He didn't say that. 
He didn't say, you know what you need to do? You need to rededicate your life. Can you imagine rededicating your life when you're like three breaths from dying? He didn't ask him to rededicate his life. He didn't ask him to start a journal. He didn't ask him to have a quiet time. He didn't ask any of that. You know what he said? He said, today you will be with me in paradise because there is nothing you can do to earn it. You didn't earn it. What I'm doing, Jesus says, right now on this cross is proof that God loves you where you are. No strings attached. If someone has attached a string to the love of God in your life, it is religion that Jesus rejected. There was no strings attached. Jesus had to go, and they put him on the worst execution device known to man. There has never been such a torturous device, and there never will be again, I hope and pray. Jesus took it, and he died. And here's what the Scripture says about it. Check this out. It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, and the sun stopped shining. What if you were one of those people making fun of Jesus, and you were poking him, and you were doing things, and all of a sudden when Jesus dies, the sun stops shining? You might go, uh-oh. Maybe there was something bigger going on here than I realized. Have you ever had that feeling? When you've laughed or you've done something and you've said that's religion and that's hocus pocus and that's not true and that's not real and then something happens in your life and you go, maybe there's something going on in my life that's bigger than I can see. I think a whole group of people felt that way. And then this thing happened in the temple. This huge temple that had been a symbol for all the money to be just ridiculously used and terribly people taken advantage of. There was a curtain in the temple that separated God from people. It was called the curtain of the Holy of Holies. And if you were a priest at the time, you were the only ones allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. They would tie a rope around your leg. And if you died in there, they'd have to pull you out because no one was allowed to go in to get you. That's how close people guarded the presence of God. And when Jesus died, here's what it says. It says, Jesus died and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And here's what it symbolized, that there is nothing between you and God anymore. And if you came in here today and you thought, yeah, but you don't know what I did in 1985. The curtain torn means even that. Yeah, but you don't understand where my life is right now and what I'm addicted to. Even that was torn away so you can be face to face with God. He says, Father, in Into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said that, he breathed his last. And with that breath came the question that haunts us all. Is that it? Maybe you felt that. You heard a little bit in our community meditation today. That thump in your life. So cancer, that's it? That's it? So divorce... That's it. That, that's the end. That's the end of the story. That's, that's how life ends. That's Caesar wins. <laughs> the brokenness, the hardship in life, the frustration in life, that's it. Caesar wins. Death wins. Is that the last word? Jesus breathed his last. And as you know, it's not the last word. And whatever thump is in your life right now, whatever, whatever last word seems to be in your life right now, you know God has another word. You know those women that Jesus surrounded himself with, his whole ministry, in order to prove to them and everyone else in the world that, that God didn't categorize people based on anything. 
still makes me laugh and sad when I hear churches who oppress women, who tell them they can't do things that Jesus himself had them do. (laughs) They bankrolled his ministry. And they were the very first ones. Very first ones sitting there when Jesus was risen from the dead. Check this out. Next slide. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women... See, if, you, if you're going to make up this story, you wouldn't start with women. Because women, women told lies in that culture. I mean, that was, that was all women were. They were just liars. So the guys who wrote this would have felt really weirdly about women. If they were going to make this story up, they would have said, two really rich, strong, smart men found Jesus. That's what they would have said. But all of the gospel accounts say that, two, that these women found Jesus. They took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away. And when they entered, they didn't find the body of Jesus. While they were wondering about this, <laughs> that seems like a little bit of a scary moment. Like, well, where is it? While they were wondering about this, um, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. And the men said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And that question that haunted us all gets an answer. That, that there is another word to be said. So what does that resurrection, that you know what happened after that? According to history, 500 people saw Jesus, or maybe even more. We know of at least 500 people that saw Jesus die and knew him after he resurrected. We have lots of accounts of people who gave their entire life to that. Um, his brother James, who, um, you know, if you've got a brother, you know how much it would take for, your, for you to believe that your brother was the son of God, right? He would have to predict his death, die, and then resurrect himself, right? Well, that's exactly how James felt. He didn't believe Jesus was the son of God until Jesus resurrected. And when he did, James became just an incredible evangelist for Jesus and began to talk about it. And that's part of why we have what we have today to talk to you is that these men gave their lives. These women gave their energy, their entire lives to telling the story over and over and over so that it meant something to the next generation of people. So that it meant something today where you are right now. I know it's getting hot in here. I'm going to just ask you for a few more minutes. It was hot in here before the guy who has all the hot air started. So it's not all my fault. So what does this mean to you? That title's wrong there. This should mean, what does this mean? One Back one slide there, Dan. What does this mean to you today, right here, right now? Here's what it means. Whatever you got going on in your life, whatever you brought in here today, the last word hasn't been spoken yet. Whatever you brought in here today, you know, what? this is crazy. This morning we had a sunrise service and it was early. It was like close to when the sun was rising. It was way early. And we did that. And a guy came who's not here now. A guy came. I'd never met him before. His name is Dave. And he came to me after the service and he said, whatever that is that you talked about, I want it. And I can't stay for the second service. So I don't know what to do. And I said, let's fill up the baptistry. So in between services, we did this thing. And maybe you thought that baptism was this weird thing that religious people do, and it can be. But here's the great thing about what Dave and I got to talk about. He said, hey, Jesus, we're celebrating Jesus' resurrection today and yours. Because the point of baptism all along, the point of creating a symbol to do this was to say that the old junk in your life can be crucified. It can be laid in a tomb, and when that happens... New 
life can come about. So the resurrection today is not just about a man, a really good man who lived 2,000 years ago. It's about your life today. What needs to die? What needs to be crucified in your life so that you can be brought to new? Dave and I got into this baptistry and whatever the temperature of water is when it comes out of the ground is how cold it was because we were filling it up as we were in it and we were freezing and I got to put my hand on a man I'd never met until this morning and I got to say brother you and I both had something to die and we both have new life today and he walked out of here resurrected you know what Jesus wasn't I'm almost done I promise you know what Jesus wasn't Jesus wasn't resuscitated You know what resuscitation is? It's when you pass out or when something happens and you have to give somebody mouth to mouth or you get them back. They're the same thing they were. They're just breathing again. Jesus wasn't resuscitated. Jesus died. Dead, smelly, in the ground for three days. Why did did God let him die for three days? Why not just resurrect him right after? Just to make sure you knew dead is dead. The old is gone. I know too many Christians who think of their life with God as resuscitation. I'm going to be the old person. I'm just going to be a little more religious than I was before. What God says is that Easter for you is the opportunity for you to kill things that were old and resurrect a new opportunity in your life for grace and hope and peace. It means the last word hasn't been spoken. It means that there is a better way to live life. You know, the thing about Jesus is he said so many amazing things in life, so many things throughout his ministry. You ought to look at them sometime. Maybe the boring Bible has been boring to you, but if you got into it, you'd realize this is life changing. It's life altering. When you hear Jesus say things that just totally blow the culture away, even our culture today, say things like you've heard, you should hate people who hate you. But I'm telling you, if you want real life, you actually go out after the people who hate you and, and do something intentionally to love them. It'll change your life. And people started doing it. And they, when he died, they thought, well, what does this mean for all the things that Jesus said? Well, they still feel true, but maybe they're not. Jesus came back to life and they said, if a man can predict his own death and resurrect himself, there must be something to this way of life. So there's a bunch of us, thousands, millions of us throughout the world, some of us here north side, some of us here all over Bloomington, who have decided that this Jesus thing is real today. That this life that he called us to, this life to live differently, is still available today. What does the res- resurrection mean to you right now? It means it's your turn. For death to turn to life. I don't know what you're going to have for lunch today. Um, I, some of you got crockpots full of stuff as we're speaking and you're going, man, I wish this guy would shut up. We're not going to beat the Baptist or Cracker Barrel, all those things. <laughs> but here's the thing, whatever you're going to eat for lunch today, it was probably alive at some point, whether it was a plant that was pulled from the ground or an animal that was slaughtered so that you could live. See, this is the way the world has worked since the beginning of time. Something has to die so that something else can live. Jesus died so that you could have new life. Today is your day. The baptistry is cold, but it's available. I'm going to end you with this today. This whole story about Easter, I want to make sure I didn't mess up for you today. Because this is a big deal. This is like game day for a preacher. You know, Easter's game day. The rest of the, the, rest of the Sundays are, you know, they're preseason. Easter's game day, baby. So I woke up this morning like in the huddle, like Drew Brees. Come on, come on, come on, you know. Because I, I want to not screw this up for you. Especially if I'm not going to see you again until next Easter. Here's the thing. What is God doing with this thing? From the beginning of the story, from the very beginning of time, God has been doing something with history. 
It involves Easter and it involves you. Here, this guy Paul says this in Ephesians. Check this out. On a little bit more, Dan. Sorry, I got ahead of you. He says, in him, that is in Jesus, we have redemption. You know what redemption means? Redemption means something was bad. Anybody like Fixer Upper? So much better than the rest of the shows, right? What if they started with a really nice place and they just added some new nice things, right? There's nothing redeemable about that. There's nothing. What makes it great was that was a piece of junk and you made it amazing. There's something in us that wants to redemption. There's something in us that is moved by redemption. Paul says, in Jesus, we can be redeemed. That means that story from 1985 that you are not proud of. That marriage that was your fault that you've always told everybody was her fault. It could be redeemed. The old can go and the new can come. He says we have redemption, not in our own way, but through his blood, through the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he's lavished on us. Not that he's held over our head and said, if you do this, if you do that, like I do with the dog, come in here, get in the kennel, get in the kennel, get in the kennel. That's not how God is with his love. God says, it's all yours. All the treats are yours. (laughs) This is yours. He says, with all wisdom and understanding, he may made known to us the mystery of his will. Have you ever wondered, what is God doing? If there is a God, what is he doing? Paul says there's a hint about it. And it's about God's pleasure. God's a pleasure seeker. He is seeking pleasure. What brings God pleasure? It's purposed in Christ to be put into effect. This is what brings God pleasure. When all things come to unity. That word unity means this, that God created you to be in a certain way. He created the earth to be in a certain way. Jesus said, when heaven comes, by the way, Heaven's not somewhere else. Heaven is here. Heaven will be on earth. And God is bringing everything back to the way he built it. Useful, new, peaceful, clean, including you. All things. Even a thief on the cross who in the very last dying breath conveniently says, Jesus, I want what you have. It's yours. No matter how far you feel from God today. All things. Because it is according to God's pleasure. That he is bringing all things to him. So if you feel a little tug in your heart today, even if you're the kind of guy who won't wear a pink shirt on Easter, even if you're the kind of guy who doesn't like Hallmark movies and doesn't cry at commercials, if you feel a little twinge in your heart today that maybe there's some truth in this, that there's some things in me that need to die so that other things can live, and maybe there's some truth to this thing about Jesus, the reason you feel it is because you were made in the image of God and God's pleasure is that all things are redeemed. Band, would you come up and we can sing that song together about redeemed? He says, that's what God is doing. You want to know what Easter is? It's about bringing everything back together to do all things today. Today for you. Next slide there, Dan. The last word hadn't been spoken on whatever you're dealing with today. I'm going to give you a chance to sing this song with us today. And maybe you're not a singer. Maybe you don't know this song. I I don't think I really know this song very well today. Um, This is a great opportunity for you to do what the girls said um, at the beginning of our service. How cool it is that you don't have to come up with really good words to talk to God. You can just say the word hallelujah or make up your own word. And what it means is God, look into my heart and see what I'm feeling. And that's worship. Today, if you feel like you could use some redemption, if you could use a fixer upper, now wives don't point at your husband's. In your life today, if you could use a fixer-upper, now's your moment. Because Easter 
was about the fact that the last word hasn't been spoken. Easter is about the fact that things in your need to die so that new things can live. If you want to do that today, I've got waiters back here. I look really funny, and I'd be glad to put them back on and get back in this baptistry today, not as a religious ceremony, but as a moment when you said, do you remember in 2018 when I got in front of a bunch of people into the cold water and I said, the old me is going. It's going down like Jesus did in crucifixion, and a new me is coming up. Today might be your day. Just between you and God, I'm not going to try to convince you. We're not going to sing 35 verses of just as I am. We're going to sing this one thing and let you do this between you and God. And if you want this morning something that God has made available for 2,000 years in Jesus, and that is the free, lavishing love of Jesus, you're welcome to come right to this stage. You can do it right where you sit. But a lot of us use this stage as a place where we can pray over each other. If there's something broken in your life today that needs redemption, come to this place and we'll pray with you. We don't do it. God does it. But we love to put our hands where, uh, on you and, and, and let God do his thing. We would love to pray for you today. So while we sing this song, feel free to come up. You'll see some of our people coming up um, and praying. This is a good opportunity for you just to say to God, God, what it needs to die in me so that something new can come. I want to pray for you. God, thank you for the way you love us. Thank you for this group of people that sat in here with their kids for an hour and a half. God, would it not be for religion? Would we not sing this song that we're about to sing because church people sing songs on Easter? Would we sing out of the, out of the pureness of our hearts? that we want to be redeemed. Thank you for that promise. Would you be honored by the way you look down at your kids loving each other, the way we look down at our kids when they love each other and we're just so happy they're not fighting. And would you be honored? They'll, they'll know us by our love, is what you said. Would you be honored by the way we love each other in your son's name? Amen.